Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It's May the 30th, 2023. The Orioles are 34-20 and after losing three of their last four games, including a 5-0 defeat by the Cleveland Guardians on Memorial Day afternoon. The Orioles have the third-best record in Major League Baseball. They have been passed by the Rangers with the Memorial Day loss. So the Orioles, they've gotten through the gauntlet. They made it through with a 13-9 and record over those 22 games. So that is great. However, the short-term vibes are nonetheless bad in Birdland presently, in large part because in that Memorial Day afternoon game, Cedric Mullins pulled up after running out a ground ball to first base. He didn't even make it all the way to first. Came out of the game immediately. It looked like he was grabbing the uh, front of his upper right leg. And after the game, sure enough, uh, manager Brandon Hyde announced that it was a right abductor groin strain, not knowledgeable enough about anatomy off the top of my head to tell you what that is. It doesn't sound like something I would want to have strained, let alone a professional baseball player. And sure enough, Hyde said about it, it's the last thing you want to see. Orioles players fetched for uh, some quotes in uh, by the beat reporters after the game sounded pretty pessimistic about Mullins, although nothing specifically was announced as far as the severity or duration of the injury. I'm kind of assuming it's pretty much a given that Mullins is going to land on the injured list. He maybe could miss like the entirety of June, something like that, uh, possibly even more if we are unlucky. So that's bad news for the Orioles because Mullins is the second best Oriole by baseball reference war up to this point, having generated 1.8 wins for the team up to this point. So somebody who is a position player is really going to have to step up to fill that void. As far as the immediate filling of Mullins's spot on the roster, it might get weird because in uh, other circumstances, you might think, okay, now the Orioles will bring up like top prospect Colton Kowser, who could come up and then get an extended look uh, in the big leagues if Mullins is going to be out for a month. He's on the injured list. You might say, okay, give another chance to Kyle Stowers. Well, he's on the injured list at Norfolk, too. So those guys in the short term, if, say, Mullins is going on the injured list immediately uh, here on Tuesday, which I think it seems like is almost a certainty that he's going to do, it's not going to be either of them. Although Kowser 
does sound like he's going to be back soon from what Mike Elias uh, said recently when speaking to Orioles reporters. He said it was days, not weeks. So that does seem like he should be on the mend soon. But he hasn't, uh, he's not back yet. And it's certainly, even if you think, okay, the, when he's healthy, he would play. Well, I don't think it sounds very much like the Mike Elias era Orioles to suddenly have a prospect uh, rush to the big leagues when he's just freshly coming off an injury. Maybe they'll surprise me. Maybe they'll do it if they're really uh, high on Kowser presently. That it could happen. They've surprised me before. They will surprise me again. I kind of feel like in the short term, we're going to see something like Austin Hayes shifts over to center field, and then we start getting more play for guys like Ryan McKenna, Taryn Vavra, or even Adam Frazier in left field, uh, with Frazier in left kind of opening up in the infield and letting both Gunnar Henderson and Ramon Urias get playing time, if that's an outcome you want, which some people probably don't, given how some of those guys have been playing recently. I will note there is an open spot on the 40-man roster, so possibly kind of a long-shot possibility is the Orioles might choose to use that spot for kind of a short-term audition rather than for the coming-back-from-injury prospect, Kowser, who would also need to be added to the 40-man. They could instead use former MLB Top 100 prospect Daz Cameron, the son of big leaguer Mike Cameron, who was an Astros draft pick when Mike Elias was part of that front office and has not really lived up to the uh, overslot bonus that he got way back when he has bounced from the Astros organization to the Tigers. He was actually part of, uh, forgive me if I get this wrong, I believe he was the centerpiece when Detroit traded Justin Verlander to Houston. Never stuck there at the ti- in the Tigers. The Orioles claimed him over the offseason and then outrighted him, but he stuck around uh, in, in the Norfolk roster. And so far this year, he's got an 839 OPS with the Norfolk Tides. So I feel like that's maybe a possibility for who they could bring up to replace Mullins. Is it an exciting possibility to me? No. Jazz Cameron's big league performance up to this point, not terribly exciting. He has now played in parts of three different seasons, a total of 73 games, batting 201 with a 266 on base percentage and 330 slugging percentage, which is why the Tigers were willing to have him uh, on waivers such that the Orioles could claim him on waivers. And it's why nobody else before the Orioles claimed Cameron on waivers, because at this point, this is his age 26 season. So that's a little old for a guy where you're like, okay, that's a rebuilding team's uh, guy they're going to claim. And, you know, the Orioles themselves not being a rebuilding team anymore didn't keep him around on the 40-man roster because, you know, they needed that to go to somebody else when things were going well. Maybe they'll have seen enough from him that they'll want to give him another chance. Uh, that's not an exciting big league total so far, but it is possible the Orioles have unearthed some new potential that Cameron unearthed more of the potential, I guess I should say, that people always believed that Cameron had as he was. Then this is going way back. He was a top 100 prospect prior to the 2016 season after having been 
part of the 2015 draft class. In fact, Cameron was the player selected one pick after the Orioles chose Ryan Mountcastle in that 2015 draft class, and one spot before former Oriole Tyler Nevin. So that's uh, that tells you, I guess, about the kind of talent level of player that's roughly available right there. Cameron was the number 37 pick, although he did get, as I said, a $4 million overslot bonus by the Astros that year. Um, so, you know, they, uh, there was hope for him and it hasn't panned out yet. So Michael Elias was part of the front office that originally drafted him. I guess we'll see if he wants to give Cameron another major league chance right now, but I am bummed that Mullins is probably going to miss some time. Okay, let's move on from that. So the other thing that's a downer for the Orioles right now is they've combined for scoring eight runs in the last four games, which is a big reason why they've lost three out of those four games. And that included in Monday's game, they got the man on third base with nobody out in the ninth inning and still ended up being shut out. Okay, so at 34 and 20, the season is now one third over. The Orioles are on pace for 102 wins, which, you know, that's still pretty darn good. I'm still taking the under on that. Let's all be honest with ourselves. The Orioles even if things go well, are not a 102-win roster. So I I think we should expect it's going to go less than that over the remaining two-thirds of the season. So next up for the Orioles is kind of the not-gauntlet, which is a stretch of 18 games, of which they've now played one, against teams who are either below 500 or not a whole lot over 500. Uh, The best of this 18-game bunch at the moment is the uh, Milwaukee Brewers, who are... I think three games over 500. The Toronto Blue Jays are two games over 500. And other than that, it is uh, teams who are pretty much 500 or significantly worse than 500. So that's that's the not gauntlet. The Orioles, I mean, at this point, I feel like for any long stretch from this point on, they just need to be like, okay, let's be above 500. So, uh, it, you know, let's even though they should maybe rack up more, especially without Mullins, let's say, OK, let's hope they can do 10 and 8 on the not gauntlet. Um, so for every long stretch, let's let's break it down by month. The Orioles are going to play 24 games in June. Let's hope the Orioles can win at least 13. They're going to uh, need to get at least 14 wins to be above 500 in July, 14 wins to be above 500 in August, 15 wins to be above 500 in September and October. Add all those together, along with don't get swept by the Guardians in the last two games here in May, that gets you to 91 wins. I don't think that's going to win the AL East with the Rays doing what the Rays are doing, but I think that should comfortably have the Orioles in a wildcard spot, possibly even hosting a wildcard game. Things, of course, could go better. They could have a really hot month, and I, I guess I just hope they can have the floor be at least be above 500. There's going to be challenges every month, no matter what teams are on the schedule. I think we're already seeing some of these challenges in May. You're going to have players slump, as in the month of May. Even It's gone well for the Orioles, but they've been some guys with serious slumps. Jorge Mateo batting just 115 in May. Backup catcher James McCann, who plays more than I would like to see a backup catcher playing, considering they DH him sometimes. I still don't know why. He's batted 182 in May. Before Monday's game, Brandon Hyde pointed out he's kind of a bad luck with the StatCast expected stats guy. Also, 
maybe he is, but maybe he's just going to be in that Ryan Mountcastle category of the bad luck is just what he is. Speaking of Ryans, Ryan McKenna batted just 219 in the month of May, and Ramon Urias in a smaller sample size because he was on the injured list for part of the month, batting just 222 in the month. All four of those guys I just named are slugging under 300. So, you know, that's tough when you're talking half your bench with McCann and McKenna are not doing well, and that's two lineup regulars that are not doing well. Now Mullins is knocked out of the lineup. He was, uh, I believe, the second-best Orioles batter by OPS in the month of May. So there could be other injuries to contend with beyond just Mullins that could happen at any time. At some positions, there are or soon will be prospects ready to take a spot, but others uh, not so much. So, you know, the we're going to find out, I guess, if the Orioles are constructed to be able to uh, keep playing through when they run into some headwinds in their, you know, the ebb and flow of a major league season. And I think the Mullins injury is a pretty big headwind. So we're going to start finding out, you know, are they, is the, uh, is the roster, the 40 man roster or the players who could be added to the 40 man resilient enough to k- keep on trucking after an injury like Mullins? I don't know, but Let's hope it is because, you know, it's fun when the Orioles win, right? I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so I'm going to dig into the mailbag. I got a message from listener James who noted my comments about some gods of chaos, real world mythology and fiction in the previous episode. And James is clearly my kind of nerd because he brought up the villain of Square's great RPG, Final Fantasy VI, originally released for the Super Nintendo system, that is Kefka Palazzo. He reminded me, James did, that uh, Kefka's claim to fame in that game, among many other things, is uh, he kind of ascended as a villain by rearranging what the Final Fantasy VI universe called the Warring Triad of Gods, who were represented by statues, and as long as they were not moved around, they uh, were in balance, and then when they were moved, that uh, cast the world into chaos, and James suggested that perhaps the Warring Triad could represent the Yankees, Red Sox, and Blue Jays, all expected to fight for one another, and Kefka's other great triumph, Kefka was actually at the start of the game the number two villain, and at this moment in the game, he overthrows the reigning emperor, which James suggested could be the Rays. Uh, he stabs him and then throws him off the what's then the floating continent and ascends to the uh, throne in the second half of the game. Ultimately, the heroes have to defeat Kefka. James, I never specifically thought of Kefka as a chaos god himself, but you know what? That's a great scenario. So Kefka, I would absolutely be thrilled if the Orioles could, uh, the 2023 Orioles could ascend to Kefka status, because as every Final Fantasy VI player knows, after Kefka takes over, the game fast-forwards one year, because Kefka has triumphed. He's won. So if we get one year of triumph for the 2023 Orioles, that's pretty freaking good, right? Okay. So if you'd like to write me about something nerdy or otherwise that you would like to have discussed on the show, or just a take you want to share, you can write camdencastpod at gmail.com. 
All right, so moving on, I'm going to talk about our prospect of the episode right now, and we've gotten to number 20 on the Camden Cat, uh, Camden Chat Composite Top 20 Orioles prospect list that I have posted before the season. I did list out up to 30, so after this episode, I will probably continue maybe skipping names here and there, uh, skipping over some guys who don't have any kind of 2023 track record yet, uh, and kind of jump through some of the 21 to 30 guys who there is something to say about in 2023. But for now, it's number 20. I might say his name wrong because, to be honest, I've only ever seen it written down. Number 20 is infielder Frederick Bencosme. He is an infielder playing at High A Aberdeen this year. The Orioles signed him as an international amateur player in August of 2020. He got a very small bonus as the Orioles basically tacked him on to the back end of the... uh, extended 2019 what was formerly the July 2 class and has now moved to January 15th as they just decided to keep it there after moving due to the COVID pandemic in 2020. So Ben Cosme is interesting because unlike basically every other name we've talked about so far uh, on this little prospect series, he did not come to the Orioles in the top two or three rounds of the draft. He did not arrive in a high-profile trade and he hasn't had multiple years where he, let's it doesn't have to be high level prospect hype but for instance a couple episodes ago i talked about Drew Rom who's at least been around in the system since being drafted in 2018 so people who you know were following the Orioles prospects knew that was a guy well ben cosme basically burst onto the scene last year so he emerged uh, in his age 19 season largely because in 59 games where he played for Delmarva last year he batted 336 with a 410 on base percentage and a 432 slugging percentage. So that's pretty interesting for a guy, at least where nobody was thinking about him before last year. That's enough to at least get people thinking about him a little bit, enough that he got on to the number 20 spot on the composite top 20 uh, ranking for Orioles prospects. And one guy of the prospect writers who is more of a fan of Ben Cosme than others, although still, you know, he's only in the low teens, was the Athletics' Keith Law, who put Ben Cosme at number 17. And Law said about Ben Cosme, quote, All he's done since signing is hit. He puts everything in play with a lot of line drives and a strikeout rate of 12.4% with nearly as many walks. Maybe he's a utility infielder. Maybe he ends up someone's regular at second but he has a knack for getting the bat to the ball, end quote. So that's, you know, that's pretty fun stuff. That's a guy who's a bit of a long shot, but the prospects that tend to surprise are the ones who manage to just hit at every level, and eventually the prospect writing world has to accept, okay, this guy is really maybe a guy. Okay, so 2023 season at Aberdeen, how's he doing so far? Unfortunately, not as great as he did last year for Dalmarva. So the brakes can be put on a little bit. He's batting just 217, although he is still getting a good uh, clip of walks with a 338 on base percentage and slugging just 308. So that, you know, that's a much lower batting average than he had at Dalmarva last year, obviously. But that's roughly the same almost non existent power. And he's hit no home runs so far this season, in fact. He still is maintaining the low strikeout rate and also walking a lot. He's got equal numbers of strikeouts and walks at this point, 21 of each, which for a guy who's played as much as he has, those are both impressive numbers. 
He had been playing shortstop at Aberdeen before Jackson Holiday was promoted there, primarily second base after. Maybe he'll go back to shortstop when Holiday seemingly inevitably, to me, hits Bowie. I was really hoping they would make that promotion announcement on Memorial Day. I'm recording this a little bit earlier in the evening on Memorial Day, so perhaps they will uh, specifically stick it to me and promote Holiday to Bowie after I record. I don't know, but it, it has not happened yet. So that is a bit of a setback for Ben Cosme having like just a steady ascent. Um, but the good news for the Orioles as an organization is that Ben Cosme is their number 20 composite guy. So they're not specifically counting on him panning out. He is the eighth infielder that we have talked about in this top 20 composite list series. So there's a whole lot of guys, uh, more than a whole infield worth ahead of him, higher in the minors, or at least in his level. And there are other young guys behind him, other international uh, signings who got bigger bonuses in more recent years. That was last year's uh, record-breaking for the Orioles team uh, signing Luis Almeida, who has yet to play a pro game. We'll see if he makes a debut uh, in the Florida Complex League this year or not, uh, as well as a... uh, guy who got, I think, $600,000 from the Orioles a couple classes ago, Leandro Arias, who has big fans in the Fangraphs uh, prospect rankers. So, you know, we're not, all the eggs are not in one infield basket for any of these guys and for Ben Cosme, the number 20 guy, especially. If he doesn't end up working out, he's not a big dollar miss where you are feeling like, okay, it really hurts that the Orioles you know, signed him and he didn't turn into anything. So they can just let him play and they can see what happens. If he hits a bump this year, maybe has to repeat Aberdeen next year and then gets back on track. No big deal. Uh, it, it doesn't hurt the Orioles any, if that's what has to happen, or if he doesn't work out at all, you know, maybe some team will view him as kind of a lottery ticket as the Orioles seemingly inevitably shop around for starting pitching help uh, coming into this trade deadline. I don't know. Uh, It seems like the absolute best case kind of career for Ben Cosme is probably to be the kind of player like current Oriole Adam Frazier is. And as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, I was not very excited to have the Orioles sign him, but he's doing well this year. He's, He's a perfectly cromulent player. In fact, heading into Memorial Day game, he'd put up 1.1 baseball reference war. So he's actually been one of the better Orioles, to my great surprise, so far this season. Uh, he he ranked in at 8th on the team in war, which is way better than I would have guessed. Or it could have been a sign for disaster if Frazier was the 8th best guy, but no, it's actually been good. Frazier has been fine, and uh, he is, you know, I, I think an aspirational kind of career for Frederick Ben Cosme, but you know, it's, it's a long shot for him to even end up being an Adam Frazier kind of career, I think. So, you know, good luck to Frederick. Um, and we'll see, uh, if he's able to rebound either for the rest of the 2023 season, or maybe if this year is just a development year, then, you know, we can still see if he does better next year. And if not, there are plenty of other infielders in the system for the Orioles to hopefully turn into a uh, sustained successful infield in a sustained successful era of the Orioles that we all hope this year is the start of. 
So that's all I've got for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review, or please tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. I will be back with you on Friday morning. Hopefully we will have at least one, if not two, Orioles wins to talk about between now and then. You can find me in the meantime, leave a comment on camdenchats.com, or you can find me on Twitter at camdenchat. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cats production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.